Isidora Angel in this conversation spoke about her experience of immigration to America, the initiative that she's involved in, Third Coast Translators Collective, and the legendary Bulgarian writer Risto Karastyanov. Isidora Angel is a Bulgarian-born writer and literary translator in Chicago. She is the author of three book-length translations. Her work on Yordanka Believers Collection, Keder, received a 2023 NEA Translation Fellowship. Her work on She Who Remains by Rene Karabash was awarded the 2023 Gulf Coast Translation Prize. Isidora's essays, interviews and translations have been featured in Astra Magazine, Words Without Borders, Firmament, Two Lines Journal, Chicago Reader and elsewhere. And her translation of the short story Family Portrait of the Black Earth by Yardanka Beleva is forthcoming in Deep Vellum's inaugural anthology, Best Literature in Translation 2024. Isidora's writing has been supported by English Pen, Art Omai, Bread Loaf, the Rona Jaffe Foundation and by the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation. which awarded her a writing fellowship in 2023 for her in progress memoir Isidora welcome to our podcast Arshniyam nice to have you with us today Thank you so much for having me I'm really excited about our conversation We will start with your childhood in Bulgaria you started learning English at the age of 8 Mhm you were still living in Bulgaria at that time I was yeah yeah. Why did you choose to learn a foreign language? Europeans have a forward thinking kind of approach uh to that and I I don't know exactly where it comes from but as for many reasons uh most of them colonial a lot of them having to do with business and education like you guys learn english it's not really even a choice for us that was russian we don't we didn't have a choice we were a satellite republic of the Soviet Union we were never part of the Soviet Union but we were under the auspices of mother russia for a long time and so we had to learn russian but my mom had and my dad had a very western look into things and for my mom who had studied english and german and russian and of course bulgarian she thought it was very important that english was introduced very early very early on i even remember her trying to teach me little, little phrases when i was younger and i just made a joke of it so like she would i remember her <laughs> trying to say let's go to bed and and to me the way the syllables came together go to bed to me it sounded like go dupe Uh, which means naked butt and i just could not stop laughing and i could not stop making a joke of it and uh, which made her furious of course so she did what any kind of middle class ambitious mother in those years did get me which is get me a tutor an english tutor and i was in second grade and i she, she took me once with the bus a few stops and then after that it was up to me after school two days a week for four years i went and i spent time with a very good older teacher called fani and i just took to the language immediately it was it was something that came very easy for me i i don't know if it's because english is relatively easy to learn or because she was a really good teacher or because i had an innate ability with the language but yeah it was 
it was something that just yeah came naturally so i'm very grateful to my mother for doing that and uh, your family moved to usa when you were 12 yes and i gathered that that experience of immigration was painful leaving bulgaria was not something that was allowed before 1990 traveling abroad was for only the very special and for diplomats and people who were sent abroad for work but it was they were sent abroad to countries which were also communist so it was very much like the iron curtain was in full on full effect but when the democratic changes happened in 1990 the borders opened up in the sense that you could you could travel and it had been my father's childhood dream to live in america that was something that was an ambition that burned inside him from very early on and the immigration is painful for anybody whether you are a refugee or your middle class or whatever because you are just leaving everything behind and the way it happened with me is i had i knew my parents were plotting this and i knew that they were thinking about it and of course there's no direct flight and there still is not a direct flight from bulgaria to america and and also you were not necessarily not you were just not going to be allowed to come with your whole family so i think my dad hatched this plan that he was just going <laughs> to send us each one my mom my me my mom my sister one by one to america and so i was the first one so i came to america alone when oh. i was 12 oh. and i know that sounds crazy and ridiculous but what happened is we were in paris and my parents were there on on business and on on monday they said we bought you a ticket to america to chicago and on thursday you're flying and you're going to go live with someone you've never met uh, and you don't know and it's not a relative and it's just like a friend of a friend thing and that's just and i arrived in america on a thursday and on friday i was enrolled in catholic school in west suburban lombard <laughs> in the west suburbs of chicago so yeah it was it was painful in the beginning because i came by myself so i didn't see my mom and dad for a couple months until my dad brought my mom over and then i didn't see my sister for a few more months after that until my dad brought my sister over and then he went back and the reason things were painful is because when when we came here he was very powerful businessman and he was doing really well and so things seemed very promising he had very big ambitions he opened a art gallery he was he bought property in 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 Michigan so he could build kind of vacation villages a resort a resort if you will so they were very big but bulgaria was not an easy place to do business back in those years it was pretty dark there were some pretty dark forces at hand and so what started off as a very kind of promising middle class immigration quickly turned into something completely different and he couldn't leave bulgaria and we couldn't go back for a very long time so that 
was very traumatic kind of thing because not only did you leave and this is before internet this is before this is early 90s where you couldn't even dial america directly from bulgaria so not only is there not a direct flight uh, from sofia to chicago but you couldn't dial directly you had to call an operator and you had to say this is the number that i'm calling the operator had to do that and so when you picked up the phone they tell you oh, you got a call from bulgaria and then we would joke that the the operator would just hang on and just hear your conversation. <laughs> and so when we would inevitably cry on the phone and talk about how much we missed each other, we would joke that the operators are crying too. Because humor is how you deal with inordinate pain. At least that's how my family dealt with it. And I think that you just have to. So yeah, so the immigration thing was, yeah, for sure, because the family's torn apart and you don't have family here. You don't have anybody here. You literally, you don't even know where the DMV is, where you get your driver's license. So it's a incredibly isolating, financially difficult, impossible situation, which I think a lot of immigrants deal with. And I think especially for my mom, who ended up raising us alone as a single mother, I think you just not only do you not have a man in the house, right? You're, you just have these three women and you just have this kind of chronic inferiority complex that you're not from here, you have an accent, you don't have money don't know the slang you don't know the culture you don't all these things and those things are something that i'm just now exploring in my own writing but for sure the immigration journey definitely affected deeply affected my desire to translate could you please elaborate that to bring the language over that's the, my way of bringing the old country over here word by word sentence by sentence and i and it, that also took me a long time to figure out as well because so many translators translate from another language into their mother language and i i consider myself now natively bilingual because i speak bulgarian and i don't i sound like a local i speak english i sound like a local more or less not that having an accent is anything bad but it's valuable to me now it came at a price of course but i realize now what an immense privilege it is for me to translate my own language into my adopted language which i also feel is my kind of i feel at home in english just even probably even more than Bulgarian, but Bulgarian was a language that I was breastfed with. It's in my bones. It's not anything I can ever isolate from the core of my being. So how many years it took for you to go back and meet your father again? I didn't see him for four years because he was still able to uh, travel back and forth for a while after we came maybe for about two years. And then things took a very sort of sharp turn downwards. And then his passport was taken away. And so I didn't see him from 1995, the early 1995 until 1998. 
So yeah, like pretty much four years. And the man I saw in 1995, and then the man I saw getting off the airplane in four years later, it was just, it was a shock because he had been through the meat grinder. So yeah, so it was, yeah, that journey back was, was something that I had been having like recurring dreams about for a very long time. Almost like the, the same dream just over and over, just me going back, seeing friends. But of course, by the time I went back, everyone was changed. Everyone was different. My friends weren't sitting around like waiting for me to go back and visit. Even though I had disappeared in quite dramatic fashion, I was like, okay, we're going on a family trip to France. And then I just never came back. And then it was just asking my teachers for transcripts and everything like that. And they're like, wow, is the doors in America? And that at the time was a really big deal. It was like, wow, America, it was the beacon. Like it was just where everybody thought dreams came true. And of course, things are a lot more complicated than that. But, but yeah, so I, I traveled back and forth for a while, meaning that I went to university in, in England at the University of East Anglia. And then I went back to Bulgaria for almost three years to live with my dad and get my start in writing and publishing and get my master's. And so when I went back to Bulgaria that second time in my early 20s, it was really me relearning the language because I had the vocabulary of a 12-year-old because that's when I left. And of course, we spoke Bulgarian at home, but it's not the same when, when school is in English, TV is in English, friendships are in English, all that stuff. So I really, my language kind of froze. And so I had to, it was incredibly difficult to relearn it, but I got uh, this kind of consulting gig where this publisher who was very interested in doing kind of chiclet books from English into Bulgarian and they wanted, they gathered a couple of 20 something year old women, readers, writers, and we would read these books and just tell them, would they be okay for the Bulgarian market? Are they good? Did they make sense? It was very fun. It was very fun, but it also, because I had to write annotations, it was this exercise in writing in Bulgarian, which, you know, it was physically painful for me after all those years to write in Bulgarian. And, but because I did that, that took me to um, a, a different level where then I could years later go to English and go to go and understand that I could translate. So what I mean by that is as a writer, as an artist, Every single thing that you do, every single thing that happens to you is going to take you to the next place. So nothing is ever wasted. Nothing is ever, even if things don't work out exactly how you intended, things have a way of happening that, that I think is, they're both miraculous and exciting. How did your stay in UK, you think that uh, it shaped your literary temper? Yeah, it's funny because the reason I went to the UK was because of a boy. I met this guy in high school and he seemed so exciting and worldly and just thinking outside the box. And he went to Australia after, because he had family there, and he went to Australia after high school. He was a couple of years older than me. And then he went to England for university. And he's like, Izzy, you got to do this. This is he just sold me on it. He sold me on it. And I had a massive crush on him. And I was like, 
not only is it in Europe, but it's also a fraction of the cost of U.S. Uh, education, which to this day, people are killing themselves to get into Ivy League colleges and universities in America. And I just want to tell them, guys, like, literally go to Europe and you're going to learn so much more. There's such a tradition there and you don't have to pay $60,000 a year or whatever. Or maybe I shouldn't tell anybody that because I'll let them fight it out over here and I'll send my kids to Europe. And so he sold me on it. He sold my mom on it. I think the cost ended up being just something that was very attractive. Like I could get this great education in Europe in three years, which is shorter than in America. And I could do it for what it costs to go to a really great school here for one year. So it was, it ended up being one of the best decisions of my life, even though the guy turned out to be a total bad person. <laughs> Very bad person. <laughs> but he affected my life in this profound way. And the university that I ended up going to, University of East Anglia, has the top writing program in the country, in, in England. And even though I wasn't in that program, just the way that the approach the university has towards writing, just the English system in general is so writing focused and it's so based on writing because, you know, they see it as there's only one way to show your knowledge, to demonstrate your knowledge, and that is to sit down and write, you know, 10 paragraphs on it. And I truly believe that. And that's what truly taught me to write because I'll never forget, you know, I was getting easy A's in, in English and writing in general in America. And I went to England and I wrote my first essay. I wrote the exact same way that I would have gotten an easy A here. And it came back with a disastrous mark. And the professor was like, we need to talk. And I'm just like, oh. And so I had to just start from square one. I had to start from scratch and learn how to form an opinion and form an argument and write properly. And, but I mean, I won't lie. It was also a massive party. It was a massive party for three years. It was just going to raves and dancing and the drinking age is 18 in in england you don't even have to worry about getting a fake id or anything like that the way you would in america and i still have some of my best friends who are there and so yeah even though england has obviously this massive literary tradition i can't exactly say that i tapped into that optimally and I still have some regrets about that, but I think I did what I went there to do. And I'm very happy with, I graduated from that university and I knew at that point writing is what I wanted to do. So translation hadn't formed as an idea yet in, in me, but I knew that it was something to do with writing. So it was, it was that decision that, 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 that was formed, crucially, while I was partying in Norwich. So what was that aha moment when you decided that you are going to get into translation seriously? 
I think there were a series of small sort of aha moments. So after the UK, I went to uh, Bulgaria and I lived there, as I mentioned, and I started working for an English language travel magazine, which was also an amazing experience because I had never really traveled in Bulgaria while I was there. I was a child, so we'd go here and there, but as a child, you're not looking at, you're taking things for granted. The fact that the entire country is surrounded by mountains, that, that you have a beautiful seaside, that you have valleys and these endless sunflower fields and skiing and all these things you, you, you take for granted because it's all, and then you go abroad and you live somewhere abroad and then you make a comparison and then you can really appreciate. So when I went back to Bulgaria and then, and I was living with, with my dad and working for this, for this magazine, I was writing in English, but there were a couple of instances where I saw that I could translate a couple of small things for the magazine. And they were awful they were awful if you it just was it was this realization that, that just because you knew both languages and you could write it, it all it doesn't add up to trans to, to a beautiful translation and i just remember trying to translate this sort of passage by the who is called the bull the patriarch of bulgarian literature his name is ivan vazu and i tried to and i tried to translate his like century old kind of language into Bulgarian, into English, but keeping the same sort of, keeping that sort of outdated slang to try to make it sound archaic. And I remember a friend of mine, another writer of the magazine read it and she's like, Dora, he sounds, this is really bad. And I'm like, you're right, this is really bad. And so, you know, it wasn't this sort of quick, very easy to, conclusion to come to. It was years later and I was living back in America and I was working on some sort of marketing role. As most writers have day jobs, you just have to. And a lot of a lot of my peers teach and I went the other way. I went into the marketing and advertising, which a lot of well-known writers have been known to do that. And it's just more financially stable situation. I was never drawn to academia. I never studied writing. I never studied translation. I don't have an MFA. And I didn't come of age in the academic world, which I'm very grateful for because from what I can gather, it can be quite a difficult thing to navigate and to have to deal with. And so I'll never forget it. I went to this reading and it was organized by the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation, which has since become one of my greatest champions. And it was a book tour uh, for two Bulgarian authors and their translators. And, and I saw these women at the, and they were at the Seminary Co-op, which is the bookshop affiliated with the University of Chicago in Hyde Park. And I saw these women and their translators talking about Bulgarian literature and translation and reading from their book. And yes, it was like the sky opened up and the, the, all of a sudden you're like, it, I felt the calling. It was a calling and it was just, there was no denying that. I was like, I'm, I'm one of five people in the world that, that can do this. I have to, I just have to. And 
So I knew nothing. I knew nobody. I knew less than nothing. I don't have family or friends in publishing. I don't have, I didn't have contacts. The only thing I knew is that there was the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation and that they offered residencies and they had it at their core mission to help Bulgarian literature into English translation. And so I found the first book that I was going to work on the same night of what to saw and I read three pages and I knew that it was brilliant right away. And it's funny because if I had read the whole thing, I probably would have been like, oh my God, could I? Could I do this? I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that I didn't read the whole book. And I think a lot of translators are divided into two schools. Do you read the whole book beforehand or do you not? Do you want to be experiencing it as the reader would and everything like that? But ultimately, I think it takes only a few pages for you to know if something is worthwhile. Ultimately, you have to read it so many times that it truly doesn't matter if you start translating it without having read the full thing. It's so easy to misinterpret things. It's so easy to miss things. So you have to read it a thousand times before you know if you've landed at the right thing. And luckily I got a residency that kind of allowed me several weeks to start work on this book and get ahead. And then, yeah, we got a deal with open letter and that was the first book and it was yeah incredibly challenging and difficult because it talks about a very dark period in Bulgarian history but it also makes these analogies and these connections to the fact that yeah this happened 100 years ago but where are we now you still have media monopolies you still have corrupt politicians and corrupt cops and you still have this inescapable thing of do you know people and if you know people you can do things and if you don't know people you won't get anywhere so it makes a lot of very uncomfortable conclusions and it challenges you to, or challenges the bulgarian person to really evaluate where are we now now you are also part of this organization called third coast translators collective now tell us about it the collective has been this just incredible resource and something that has been just absolutely invaluable to me as a translator as a writer because i think when you start off in in writing and translation you can feel like the most important thing is to get published and you try to build sort of contacts and connections and it's it can be a very exclusionary kind of experience because there's all the people looking to publish and looking to get their voice heard and then there's all the gatekeepers and who are saying no all the time when it's just such an uphill frustrating oftentimes just discouraging situation but what i think more people could benefit from realizing is that truly it's not just about getting published it's about the people that you meet and the experiences that you have meeting your people and ex- exchanging information and ideas so i was invited to join this group which wasn't called the third coast translators collective yet it was just like a chicago land group that sort of met very informally and we i was very 
lucky to have been invited without really having published anything yet because of a really dear friend of mine who I believe you just interviewed, Amaya Gabancho, and she translates from Basque. How difficult uh, is it to publish uh, Bulgarian literature uh, translated into English? Financially, it's always an uphill battle to get anything published. The, you, with a minority language like the Bulgarian, you have to just create this... You have to work probably twice as hard to justify the material because there's the well-shoveled paths for other big languages like Spanish and French and yeah. Italian and, yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. And being representing this sort of small language. A lot of times it comes down to people just not necessarily being interested in, in that. And it's a very painful truth because uh, I really believe that even though I'm in the business of translation, I'm, my job is just as much to preserve the taste and the feel of the original. I don't want to, my job is not to disappear the Bulgarian. My job as a translator is not to wash it off the text where you don't know where it could have come from. So it's a very specific kind of exercise that, that I'm doing. And Bulgarian writing and the projects that I'm interested in doing have a very specific point of view and a very specific taste and feel. And a lot of times it, they just sound different. They sound different than what's, what the tapestry is made out of in the current landscape. And when something tastes different and looks different, it's very easy to just look at it and just say, no, that's not very good. But you're not actually necessarily looking at it from the right point of view. The challenge is, of course, to get people to even answer an email. Unfortunately, so much of publishing conversations are <laughs> take place over email, which is ex an extremely limited, you know, impersonal. It, it, it leaves so much out. It's so much it's There's so much that's open to misinterpretation. I cannot tell you the last time that I spoke to an editor on the phone whether that be a book editor that I'm working on something with or a magazine editor or journal editor or I don't even know what these people's voices sound like unless we meet in person at a conference or an event or something like that. And that is truly one of the just the worst aspects of, of what publishing in, in the current moment. How do you describe translation as a tool of writing to express yourself. I heard a friend of mine describe this recently, and the way she talked about translation was to say that it's constraints-based writing. And I thought that's one of the best descriptions that I've heard about what translation is ever. And I definitely put it in my pocket and I'm using it. And it's, 
to, to people who have no idea about translation, who don't speak more than one language, to them, translation seems like uh, something extraordinarily easy because you have one language and you have words and you have another language and you have words and you just match them up. And that's just how it works. And of course, I there's not enough time in the day for me to convince people like that about what I do or what translation is or what carrying one language over from another. I just can't. I'm just like, okay, you can live in your ignorance and that and that's fine. And I can't do anything to, and it's not my job to teach people like that anyway. And then there's the people who have a little bit of understanding because they have some knowledge of different a different language. And of course, there's my fellow translators, which we can geek out about choices and all day. But I really, truly feel that as a translator, you're almost like an actor who is bringing something to life. And if you have five different actors reading the same script, you're going to have five different performances. That's just inevitable because the way people see the world is very different. And the way even a single word can be interpreted by five different people is as wide as, as and, and as long as the sky. And what I found is that as, I'm, as I found my voice in translation, it's not just necessarily about my word choices. It's about the projects that I take on. And with the exception of the first novel that I did, I've only been translating women. And that's been something that I felt very strongly about because if we look at translation as something that's already underrepresented on the market, if you look at the amount of women who are being translated, that's a fraction of that already insanely small piece. And so <laughs> it's, it's interesting why I chose this field of work when you are the impact that you're making is big for a single person but maybe not necessarily as big for other people and i don't know it's a form of activism and so when i look at across the, the books that i've worked on and translated there are some recurring themes that are happening and so i'm really seeing I'm really seeing over the course of these four books that, that I've worked on, I'm really seeing some things emerging and which is just a sidebar on this, which is why I feel like so many translators are underserved in book criticism because no one ever takes the time to talk about a certain translator's oof, if you will over a course of their over the course of their career like we never get that the translator is the other writer of the book but we don't ever see that we don't ever see that acknowledged in any meaningful way and so a translator is somebody who yeah i'm sure there's plenty of translators who do commercial work who do things just to pay the bills and everything like that and it shouldn't all necessarily be taken into account but I think we're doing a real disservice by not looking into that other part of someone's choices. And so when I look at the books that I've translated and I look at some of the recurring themes and they're all very heavy and 
I don't know why I'm drawn to the heavy stuff. There's probably reasons for that, but almost all of the books that I've worked on feature scenes of gang rape and assault. Almost all of them have murder. Almost all of them have some very unhappy women. Almost all of them explore women's relationships to each other. And I, I certainly don't think that there's enough exploration of that. So when you ask, how is your translation, how is your translation related to you expressing yourself? It's not even, not just in specific words that I'm choosing, which are potent, even though a lot of there's such a lag time usually between when something comes out in Bulgarian and when something is translated, there's four or five years usually that sort of take that take place. When I translate, I make sure that the language that I'm using is the most current language of the moment, because every word has many meanings. There are certain words that are very loaded and they're very, it's something that can be very loaded like today and three years from now, no one really, no one really cares about. But I, I try to make something which is both enduring, but also of the moment. That's why translation is really a form of criticism. It's a form of linguistic criticism because you are injecting something of yourself that you believe is relevant and necessary into the text that that's there but again constraints based writing and there are things that i do that only i will know that that are there little easter eggs that that, that i put in but yeah so is there a your first book length translation was the same night awaits us all authored by risto karestino who passed away recently as a translator, what is the kind of collaboration you had with him and where do you place him in contemporary Bulgarian literature as an author? Yeah, so Karastyanov died end of January and it's very fresh and it's brought on all kinds of emotions for me. He was so generous with me. He didn't know me. He didn't know anything about my writing and he couldn't have because I was living in America and writing here. So he didn't, he didn't speak English, but he trusted me. He said this is your book and writers don't typically ever say that they just don't but he did and it was my first foray into translation and i knew nothing i knew less than nothing all i knew was that this was a very important uh very potent extremely political book that was a bestseller in bulgaria and i was immediately grabbed by it and to have stumbled onto this book and this author right out of the gate was exceptionally lucky i think and we had this amazing adventure with the book. We just had this amazing chemistry together. He told me when I first met him in Bulgaria, he's I'm in love with you, which was so sweet. And because he was like 30 something, 40 years older, older than me, but his sentences were so long, verging on impossible. And he wrote the whole book in this a tense, which doesn't even exist in English. It was all nonlinear, shooting back and forth in time changing perspectives from a point of view of, of this poet who was killed for writing a poem, essentially Geo Milev, one of the great Bulgarian poets, and from the point of view of Georgi Shetanov, who was this anarchist. And thinking about it now and thinking about it then, he really wrote those characters 
in his own image in, in, in a lot of ways. When he was writing about Geomedev, I felt like he was writing about himself. So the novel was this historical fiction taking place in between the two world wars in Bulgaria. It was a very tumultuous time in, in, in Bulgaria, and he really drew the parallel of like I was saying before about this thing that happened a hundred years ago and look how far we've come but have we really so he was a really even though his novels were written almost in a kind of pulp style he was really challenging the status quo and he really was very political in his writing and in his life and he was he was a contrarian and I think that cost him a lot when we went to New York together, we got um, invited to this really amazing residency at Art Omai, and it's this translation lab, um, and they invite the author and the translator to work together, and they had four pairs of author-translators. And it's in upstate New York, and that's where we got, where we met with Amaya Gabancho, and Danielle Saldana Paris was there, and Otessa Moshe was randomly there, just completely unrelated to our residency. And I think she was writing at the time my year of rest and relaxation, and we just pissed her off tremendously because Krastianov and I were sat in this little library right below her room, and I would read out loud for hours from my translation. And she was just like slamming doors upstairs and it was hilarious. But he got to see New York because of our work together, which was so meaningful to him. He said this kind of like really wistful, sad thing at the end. He's like, why now? Why not then? But at the same time, I truly saw him lose 20 years. Uh, he just became younger in front of my eyes when we were working on this book in New York. It was. He loved it. He loved it. It was important. It was very meaningful to him. And when the book came out, the San Francisco Chronicle wrote about it, wrote about the first sentence and how it grabbed them and which he absolutely cherished and loved, you know, that he got in the San Francisco Chronicle with it. Of course, I had no uh, recognition. They didn't even write my name or anything like that. And I was just remember, you know, swearing uh, in a just we were joking about it. I was like, do you know this? sentence this goddamn sentence I'm like took me a year to write and I'm like and I do just they just forget to add the translator so we had a laugh about that and then world literature today called the novel bold novel of resistance I got listed somewhere on a list of historical fiction novels alongside Gabriel Garcia Marquez which was so nice and lovely and so I just want to say that he taught me so much he meant so much to the literary world. I think he's going to be massively missed. I think he would really enjoy all the outpouring of love and respect taking place in Bulgaria and all of the mourning that's taking place. At the same time, there is a little bit of, he could have been more appreciated. He could have, even though he won all the major awards and he was a household name and everyone respected him. But I really, truly wish that he would have been able to enjoy. He's the author of more over 30 books, so his sort of place in the canon is pretty huge. And um, I hope they study him in schools and universities forever. And I hope that he does, his work does continue to, to keep getting translated. That's another thing that I wish that it wasn't just this one book that got translated into English. I really feel like, I, I really feel like there could have been, there could have been more. Uh, the recent uh, booker, international booker, is one by a novel translated from Bulgarian, Time Shelter. 
please recommend some books from bulgaria to our readers which have been translated into english i cannot tell you how exciting it was for me and i watched the instagram live I and mean, it was the closest thing to like oscars that you can get for books and as soon as i heard the introduction to the book which had won and the wording i was like holy shit it's going to be time shelter it's going to be georgi guspudinov and angela rodal and i was swearing excitedly at, at, at the kids playground where i had my daughter <laughs> and it was i can't tell you just how positively overjoyed the whole nation was with, with some small exceptions you're you're always going to have haters you're you're always going to have people who are just thinking that their original just by the sheer force of being skeptical which is so lame and not interesting at all so this was a huge moment for a country so of course angela is at the forefront of translation she's coming to chicago in just a few weeks with her new book the case of jam which is which she also won the national endowment for the arts as well for it so there were two of us last year who got awarded that and there had never been two bulgarians to win at the same time which was which was a huge deal we were very excited when we were all on the zoom call with all the other winners it just felt like a really important thing so i'm excited to read that book i'm excited about obviously my own projects <laughs> rene karabash's she who remains and yurdanko bedeva's kedad because i feel like they're important books but i'm also really excited for joanna elmy's book which i believe the working title is born of guilt or made of guilt so she wrote it in bulgarian i believe she's the one translating it in english and then they'll have an editor but she just recently i believe sold the rights to a number of publishers in europe so i'm very excited for that as well and yeah it's just i'm just looking at the women It's all women writers that I'm excited about and I can't help it. Now, what are the projects that you are currently working on is there? Yeah, I'm working on a couple of different things that have to do with writing and the journey has been interesting. The translation journey has been very interesting and so there's this kind of spoken and unspoken idea that when you translate you're hiding behind the words of someone else and translation is not seen as original work necessarily and these are all things that i deal with in my working life and these are all things that i fight against because i don't believe that's the case but it's interesting because i've started work on my own book a memoir and so much of the action takes place in bulgaria and so many of the conversations that took place are in bulgarian and so i realized in in what i was saying earlier that nothing you ever do is artistically creatively is ever wasted i realize now that all my work all my writing all, all my translation has been leading to this writing of of my memoir because i have to translate so i have to translate conversations as to translate articles newspaper articles legal documents all these things if i didn't have this 
massive experience over the last 10 years of doing this, I probably wouldn't even know where to start. So it's really interesting how even though it's my own work and my own writing, I'm still translating. It's still something that is essential to telling the story. Even you are talking about challenges of translation, you spoke about Bulgarian having 40 different tenses. It's actually, it's actually less than that. It's just this is a combination of all the different conjugations of, of all these different tenses. But yeah, English is so incredibly rich and complex and idiomatically. Bulgarian also has a ton of just insane idioms. And that's the beauty of being a translator. You're constantly learning language on both sides because you realize you've taken certain things for granted and it's not, that's not the meaning at all. And, but aside from being, from having these crazy idioms and these like single sort of syllable relays that are incredibly potent, but difficult to render into English, then you have this very insanely complex grammar. And the same night awaits us all, for instance, was written entirely in the inferential mood which is this kind of tense which imagines that something has taken place while acknowledging that the person telling you about it wasn't there to witness it. So it's got this almost like air of allegedly, supposedly this is how it happened. And it works perfectly for the novel because it's historical fiction. Obviously, he wasn't there to witness these things you have to decide which things you have to leave and which things you take as a translator obviously there is no inferential mood in english so i have to choose am i going to put allegedly in every sentence or supposedly or or do i just have to let go of it and hope that i can carry that air of supposedness in it. I had to let it go and just hope that it came through in other ways. <laughs> nice. Now, who is publishing this book? She Who Remains? So She Who Remains, we are talking to a couple of publishers right now, which I'm excited by the conversations that we're having. It's an experimental novel. And so People can be scared of it, but I'm very excited by the fact that we just won a translation prize judged by Katrina Dotson, who is a brilliant translator who translated Clarice Lispector's work. And she had some very nice things to say in her statement on why she chose our excerpt. And she called it bold and visionary, which was which is amazing. I'm hoping that the momentum that we're enjoying right now is going to help us find the right publisher and the right home because it has to be a perfect fit. Before we end, please read a couple of paragraphs from the book, She Who Remains, in both Bulgarian and in English, please. So I'm going to read Bulgarian first, and then I will read... The English. This is the opening of the book. It's the very first thing that we read to enter us into this incredible world that Rene Karabash has 
created. Много поздрави от брат ми, казва братът на Немания и стреля с пушката само веднъж. Топото тяло на баща му тупва в шумата, големите му очи втренчени в него. Големите очи на баща ми втренчени в очите на братя на Немания. Силните му ръце хващат баща ми и го обръщат на там, на където залязва слънцето. Той е възбуден, като гледа пръстите си в кръв. Избръсва ги в ризата на мураж. Клашатайте на смъртта разнасят бестите на убития. Мураж, мураж е убит, повалиха мураж, подивите нарове. При нарове, мураж, мураж, вика майка ми и потъва в полите си насред улицата. Живот мой, мураж, вятърът носи виковете на горе. Виковете настигат майка ми по черния път към дома и я блъскат към земята. Майка ми потъва в полите си насред улицата. Четирима здрави мъже вървят по черния път към дома. На четири букови клона носят тялото на баща ми. Пътят е неравен, носачите се спъват приведени. Тялото на баща ми се повдига и пада като кашлица. Слагат го в краката ми и то вече не помръдва. Сега трябва да попитам всичко, както е по канона. Трябва да попитам носачите това, което трябва да попитам. Отварям устата си от нея и излиза само горещия въздух. Горещия въздух суда пред лицата на носачите. Горещият въздух не живее вече пред лицето на баща ми. Хайде, матя, мърморят яките си носачите. Не ме поглеждат в очите, не искат да виждат смъртта на бащата в очите на дъщеря му. По-скоро биха гледали смъртта в очите на бащата, но в очите на дъщеря му никога. Те искат да легнат спокойни в креватите си, а аз трябва да остана права, да не губя власт на тялото си. Изкашане и казвам, какво ми носите, рана или смърт? It yeah, they're very similar, but I'd like it to make sure that people know that the Russian alphabet comes from the Bulgarian alphabet. So they have a great debt to the Bulgarian in that respect. So let me read the same part in in English, and this is the beginning of what was just published and online at, on at, by the Gold Coast Journal, and it'll be out in print later in the spring. My brother sends his best, says Nemanja's brother, and shoots his gun just once. My father's warm body tumbles into the dead leaves, his big eyes fixed on him. My father's big eyes locked into Nemanja's brother's eyes. His strong hands grab my father and turn him to the setting sun. He's exalted by the sight of his fingers in blood, wipes them on Marash's shirt. The heralds of death spread the news. They shot Marash. Marash was killed. Marash was felled next to the wild pomegranate trees. Next to the pomegranates, Marash, 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 my mother wails and sinks into her skirt in the middle of the road. Marash, my life. The wind carries the howls of the heralds. The howls catch up to my mother on the dirt road leading up to our home and knock her down to the ground. She sinks into her skirt on the dirt road that leads to our house. Four broad-shouldered men stride up the dirt road to our home, carrying my father's body on four beech tree branches, the road uneven, the pallbearers' bodies bent, tripping over their feet. My father's body rises and falls like a cough. They set the body down at my feet. It no longer moves. Now I'm bound to ask everything the canoe decrees. I have to ask the pallbearers what I must ask them. I open my mouth. Only hot air escapes. Hot air into the cold stares of the bearers' faces. The hot air that is no longer escaping my father's face. Come on, Mattia, they mutter into their collars, avoiding my eyes. They don't wish to see the death of the father reflected in the eyes of his daughter. 
They'd sooner see death in the man's eyes, but never in the eyes of his daughter. They want to lie in their beds tonight, unperturbed, yet I have to stand, self-possessed, a cough, and I ask, what have you brought me, a wound or death? Thank you. Thank you, Isdara, for such a wonderful and engaging conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and thank you for everything you're doing to bring some attention to literary translators across the world and across different languages. I think it's a great and noble mission. <laughs>